Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Winning as Women. I'm your host, Jody Geiger, and today I am thrilled to be joined by three exceptional enablement professionals. It's an enablement panel, <laughs> and we're going to talk shop about all things coaching and enablement. Uh, if you caught up on our great episodes so far from this season, you will recognize two of our guests today. But first, I want to introduce to the Winning as Women show uh, for the first time. Yeah, Whitney. Whitney Seek, Vice President of Revenue Enablement at Demandbase. And she's also the founder and principal consultant at her own consulting firm, Enablement Enthusiast, and just a pillar in the enablement community out there. So welcome, Whitney, to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Jody. Gosh, kind words. I really appreciate that. We're so excited to have you. I feel like these other two guests are a bit of a trio with you. I see your names everywhere out there in the enablement community, be it at events um, or posting and shouting out each other online. You do a wonderful job of building community together. So our returning champs, we have Steph White, Senior Director of Revenue Enablement at Lupio and an ambassador at the Sales Enablement Collective. Good to have you back, Steph. And I think on that, you all have been winning awards lately in the enablement community. So kudos there. And last but not least, uh, Senior Leadership Development Sales Performance Consultant, that's a mouthful, Nikki, uh, at LinkedIn. Okay. More importantly, yeah. about to also become a new mom, we learned uh, yeah. last episode, is Nikki Shanzer. So Nikki, how are you doing? And welcome you, Steph Witt. I'm so excited to be here. I'm like, it just feels already so good. I'm like, yeah, look at my peeps. This is great. I know, like a little reunion episode, right? That's yeah. what it feels like. I was like, we've got some cute pics together from our last time together in Austin. Yes. Oh my God, that was so fun. Awesome. Well, let's take a pulse check here while we have the three of you. Um, the state of enablement at this point, we're in 2023, the number one business challenge that you're seeing enablement solving. Whitney, new to the show, would love to start with you and get your hot take. Yeah. Well, I think what we're really focused on at Demandbase right now is our product actually helps people uncover opportunities by surfacing intent data. And so pipeline is a problem that I think a lot of folks are facing in this market. So we're coupling becoming the best users of our own product and drinking our own champagne. We're coupling that with storytelling because we hope that by building our team's confidence in using the platform, that it creates this sort of authentic enthusiasm for our customers that are, are hearing about our product for the first time. And so we're looking, we're not only doing that, we're also looking really closely at our customer journey and we're evaluating like what's been going on in the market, how have things changed and shifted, and how do we need to adjust our approach in order to accommodate some of those big changes in the market? Anyone want to build on that? <laughs> I mean, drinking champagne, I'll build on that. That's not <laughs> I can do that for you, Nikki. I got this right now. <laughs> yeah, I was like, could somebody please step in here? That'd be great. <laughs> um, so I think it's interesting. We are very much, we're coming up on our last quarter of the year. So a couple of things happening. One, big annual product summit. So product enablement is the name of the game right now for the you know foreseeable future. Um, a lot of the things that we would normally like to do, I call it to keep the lights on. You know, this is the onboarding. This is the career conversations, coaching. All of that gets parked right now as we focus on big feature and product releases. 
um, on the theme of drinking your own champagne, I also oversee the sales response function at Lupio. So we're a sales response tool. I oversee the function. Ergo, drink my own champagne also. Um, but it there is a lot of work that has to happen behind the scenes when not just updating enablement content and training for product enablement, but also all the messaging and collateral that you're actually responding to security questionnaires and RFPs with. Um, so those are my two like big boulders right now for the foreseeable future, which are very much tied together. Amazing. Which is also, yeah, I mean, Whitney, you're talking about storytelling, you're talking about updating the, that buyer journey map. And then Steph, what you're talking about is almost zeroing in on core components of that, um, be it from a product, anytime you update your product. Uh, there it affects every part of that journey and resources collateral um you know responses uh that you're doing externally to customers so is that similar for you nikki yeah actually very similar i think um one of the biggest things that we're focused on right now we had done a ton of analysis with over 200 um reps and our and highest performing reps and leaders and we thought maybe we should transform our sales process. Um, and it was fascinating because what we found is our AEs actually do have a process and our CS team does, but the team that didn't is our renewals team. And so we built a new process for them and we flipped it on its head, quite literally going like, maybe it isn't stages. Maybe it's actually what are the core conversations that you need to have have a successful renewal across one to three years. So we've identified these four critical conversations that they should have. That is a focus. But what we also uncover is to, tied to what Whitney's saying is thinking about what are the things that managers need to do in order to not only manage to a process, but we also found out in analysis that they're, they're in 63 dashboards at any given time. They're all kind of guessing what they're doing with the acquisition of LinkedIn from Microsoft, um, we move from Salesforce to Dynamics. So there's like a lot of change going on and people just set their new norms. They work out of assist outside of the system. So for managers, one of the areas I'm focused on is how do we actually identify the core conversations that a manager should have in one-on-ones week over week? So similar to what Whitney's saying, we identified territory, pipeline health, uh, account strategy, deal reviews, and forecasting. And so we are kind of like rolling out this huge initiative where it's like, how do we start with managers and get them into one source of truth, one dashboard from 63, which is like very exciting. Um, and then make sure that they feel set up for success. So it's it's a huge, huge change. But what's interesting is like they're all doing this anyway, just in a really non-prescribed way. So we're trying to just build the framework for them and go, now you can make more data-driven informed decisions on what you should be talking to your team about. So oh, really cool. Nikki, I love, love, love that. I mean, the metric of being able to move from 63, I think you said dashboards to one is like, that is efficiency right there. And like, I'm thinking about the time savings that you're going to have for your managers how many more things they can do now that they yes. put that time back. That's really exciting. Yeah. I think about that all the time. I'm going, it, even presenting this, the managers are like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, okay, but well, what's the catch? 
And it's like all of this evolves is our first chance doing it. But the reality is, is imagine what we can save people when, when you just give them the, the playbook to say, you get to make the decision, you're leading your team, you're going to continue to lead it the way that you want. Um, and one of the core components of that is coaching as well. So uh, we've paired coaching guides with each one of those topics that a manager is speaking to their team about anyway, which is great. It's really interesting to me the way that you have mapped that. I don't know if any of you have read it. It's, I'm trying to recall the name and we'll put it in the, the show notes, but I think it's Crushing Quota. Have you read that book? Okay. Oh, as I write it down. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Like, it's, a, um, it's a goodie. I think I'm, I will confirm the author and, and who it is by, but um, actually it's the team that wrote um, Cracking the Sales Management Code as well, I think. Um, anyway, it's interesting how you broke that out because that's what they talk about in that book is a framework for these events and moments for managers to be able to have a very simple, this is what I need to hit in when we're looking at territory or when we're looking at um, you know account mapping, whatever that might be. Because everyone is going to have their own style, but you need the actual, you know, commonality in terms of how we forecast, how we're looking at that activity and the output we're driving from it. Uh, so I love that because I think that for managers, they don't want to be told what to say in a one-on-one, but they do want to be clear on what it is that they're driving out of it and want to be clear with their teams in terms of setting expectations. Yeah. We keep saying freedom within a framework. We're testing that out. It lands... It lands some of the time. Not some of the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm, we're like, so if anybody has any other ideas, I will I will make sure to look at these books because, I mean, it's it's hard to go, I'm prescribing you something that is best practice to a group that doesn't want to be prescribed. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's really interesting. I think like deep down, we all want to go like, well, what does best practice look like and how do I pull from that? Uh, but don't tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. So, it's a dance for sure yeah and i mean it brings me back to like i know this phrase is like old as dirt now but like the art versus science of selling right like you're giving them the science you're giving them the structure the way that they get to those end results may vary based on their personal styles but i love that you're thinking about like flexibility within a framework or what was the phrasing that you used it was freedom within a framework yeah exactly yeah i love that yeah i think it's interesting too as we we approach different personality types in sales leadership. What are those? They're not strong typically. It's they're totally easygoing with anything you want to change in the process. Um, you know, really also just trying to get our heads around, and you do this well, Nikki, from our conversations we've had about coaching managers, getting ahead of like the yabbits, as I call them, like the response that you get from people when they're like, yeah, I get it, but like this is how me and my team best operate. Yeah, but that's at that big company, we're different. Yeah, but our sales pipeline right now isn't that. Um, so trying to get ahead of those yabbits, and I, I do love the alliteration you've got there. I may borrow it. Um, yeah. Because I think that allows for the flexibility to get ahead of those yabbits um, and really make it an invitation for people to personalize their approach with the best practices that you're providing. I love it. Yeah. And I love, love that term, yeah, but they're like so little good. bunnies. They're, yeah, that's a I whole like other pictured like an alien or something. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I wasn't going bunny. I was also going like a minion or something. <laughs> like, yeah, but yeah, totally. But. <laughs> yeah, there are yeah. these little evil bunnies um, that like I envision because I like to garden. Um, and I'll shorten this story, but it's like you start seedlings, you do all this stuff, you try to plan out and you map out how many plants per square foot in your garden and all that. And you put it in the garden and you don't put a fence around it, aka launch the program. And you're just invaded by rabbits or yabbits, which just destroy the hard work and the thought that you put into it. Um, and so that's kind of like I picture evil little rabbits when I think yabbits um, and how they can make a mess of things. I think, I mean, we all have a, a, a yabbit inside of us. <laughs> I think that's just human nature to change uh, or our response to change as humans. And, you know, I love the the call out stuff there of what are the question of what are we doing to get out ahead of it? And that's, I'm, I'm assuming, collaborating and, and incorporating or co-creating uh, with, the, with the manager that you're a stakeholder that you're working with. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm hearing a lot of different things from looking at the, the moments and the conversations, the frameworks to storytelling along the buyer journey. Um, what would you say if you were to roll that up into a metric? What's the business impact that you're looking at the <laughs> highest level to drive with some of the initiatives you've talked about here? And I'll turn first to Steph. Do I get one or can I have a short list? You can have a short list, um, but but talk about the most impactful thing that you and your enablement team are driving with looking at that business challenge. Yeah. So at the end of the day, when we talk about product enablement and new functionality rollouts and how we're responding to sales opportunities, it's all about revenue, right? So it's what is our win rate? What is our ASP? And how are we faring against the competition after the rollout of these new product features? Right. And that's really touches both my big boulders since they're both going towards that direction. Those are the three key things that we're measuring. What will define success of did we invest well in this functionality and did we roll it out effectively to our teams? If it drives revenue, success. If we remain flat, there still could be a success story in there because maybe we can see in some segments where we did have some gains. Um, but ultimately, if it goes down, it's just that simple. It's show me the dollars um, for all three of them. Okay. Nikki, how about you? Yeah, I think um, we're trying to accomplish a lot. And so we have to, we're thinking of this like crawl, walk, run strategy. And so when we looked at, okay, we're launching this process, which for an IC or individual contributor or account director as a rep, uh, what do they need to be doing? And at its bare minimum, we need them logging the first like key customer conversation that we're rolling out. And for a manager, they need to hold them accountable to that. We have system problem. We have data trust issues. Like, and so making sure that we we start with one very clear thing that they need to log in the system, and that will be inspected in the starting point. What keeps arising naturally is, okay, if we want to continue our coaching mindset, our coaching practices, does it matter more that we track that coaching happened or does it matter more that they were done well, that these conversations are actually producing a good quality coaching conversation to help someone along? And so 
we very much are looking at what technology can help us with that in the future. It's more of our walk strategy. Do we maybe need to get people analyzing recorded calls? We've done that in the past. It's a huge effort, I think, as everybody on this call is like, yeah, that's a ton of time. Um, and can we leverage our second line leaders and have them inspecting what coaching is happening? You know, you you put so much thought into these things that roll out, but we don't know. There might be something we totally missed that someone's going, hey, did you think about this? Or actually over here, I'm coaching more often than I am somewhere else. Like, can we lean in there? So I think um, if we are starting with this critical component of like getting people in the system, that's a huge win. And then as we progress, I think the future is next level credentialing. A lot of people use the term certification. I'm testing this one out. So let me know, <laughs> let me know what the reaction is. But I'm th- we already have people who have gone through coaching 101, which is the foundations of coaching at LinkedIn. And I'm thinking, well, what would next level credentialing look like? What's the 201 of that? And that would be coaching to this process and to their man- these five manager business conversations. So uh, that probably won't happen until fiscal year 25 once we're done rolling all of this out. But that's future vision, what we're looking at from a measurement component. Nikki, can I just ask a question on that? Yeah. So when we talk about... And for those who may not be familiar, you know, it's often aligned with university course levels. So one-on-one is, you know, understanding that the thing exists. 201 is second year course. So why it exists. Three is understanding more of how it works. And four is that mastery level. Um, How, when we think about more strategic initiatives like coaching, where, you know, these, each stage could be several months. How often do you find you're actually building up to that 401 level? before you're potentially going back and revising 101 and 201. Just curious because the size yeah. of is so much different. Yeah, I love that question because I one, I don't think we're there yet. I think it's going to be a, a, it's a long journey to get people to understand even what coaching is, let alone a model to follow and then building that into their existing workflow. It's fascinating. We did a dry run uh, like two weeks ago of this program. And we built in coaching. We were just like testing this exercise. And there were two people sitting next to each other. One of them goes, Ugh, I have my first eye roll moment. Here we go again with coaching. And I thought, oh my goodness. Like they were like, I checked the box. I got certified. The end. And the person next to them after we did the exercise said, I, this is invaluable. I now have a guide in front of me. I can't, I'm going to have better conversations. And so it's like reaction to it is so interesting to have two people sitting next to each other and just some people will continue to view this as this very like foundational thing and they and check the box. And there are other people who see it as a as a forever journey. And so how do you capture the forever journey people and go, this is what excellence looks like over time? And I don't know if really, I mean, I don't want to say no one's done this. I think in organizations, that's what we're on the cusp of right now. Um, I'd be curious what you all think about that. But I think that like 401 level, I think we're three to five years out from that and really seeing the benefits of it and then being able to prove it out because people like things proven a lot of times before they, before they try it. So um, I, I think about that a lot, though. Yeah, so and I, I think- love that question. 
I think the first thing that came to mind for me too is like you're working at a cruise liner where I feel like Steph and I might be on speedboats. So totally, yeah, I'm could... on the Titanic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, don't say you're on the Titanic, Nikki. <laughs> Actually, uh, yeah, what's one that hasn't sunk? Hold on. There was a beautiful big one, Nikki, that was called like the Queen Elizabeth. Let's go with that. Yeah, I'll be on the Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What? I'm like, I literally can't think. I'm like, am I a like Disney cruise ship? Like what? Put me somewhere on a boat that stays afloat. That's really fun. (laughs) That's really fun. Oh my gosh. I'm on a fun cruise ship that stays afloat. Okay. Yes, yes, you are. Oh my yeah. gosh. But what I was getting at was like, there is like an ability to move faster at a tech startup when we have less people to bring along that journey. But I love listening to the structure that Nikki, you're putting in place at a larger scale because I think that creates such scalable frameworks, even for startups to have a leg up in, um, in scale because that's the name of the game there, right? It's like, how do we scale in these hyper growth startups where we're moving fast? There's tons of change. Uh, we're trying to influence the ability to slow down to speed up. And it's like you have to reference some of these programs and how long change can take too. So yeah, I think that's really interesting. And yes, fun cruise for sure. Fun cruise. <laughs> fun cruise. And like, I love the speedboat. What? Like put a helmet on, grab onto your seatbelts, folks, because like, this can't take a month to deliver. We have to deploy it, measure it, and present on it within the yeah. next like twenty six days. When you're in, yeah. you know, high growth SaaS, um, in startup world, we should say. And Nikki, actually, you had that at Hopin, right? Where it was crazy fast growth. So you've yes. lived in both worlds. Yeah, yeah, and it's been, um, you know, it, I, I I went to Hopin and outreach. And then I'm at LinkedIn and like taking this experience and going, okay, like there's so many more stakeholders. There's so much more um, involvement from teams that I'm like, I don't even, I, I will never forget like building a curriculum out. And it was like, oh, that's what our team does. I was like, what? Like just the thought that there's some extra hands around, I think has, has been probably one of my biggest moments of change to be like wait I don't have to do it all like I don't I don't know what that looks like (laughs) all right Nikki now you're rubbing it in (laughs) but but it takes a lot of effort to like there is that moment I think with enablers I'm very wit you know this inherently about me but I'm somebody who like feels responsible for everything and I'm like if I just do it I'll just get it done faster and so it's learning how to go, where do I, like, I have to really lean into my strengths in very particular ways. Whereas I think when you're at, you're, when you're on the speedboat, you get to expand those in a variety of different ways and learn new skills um, continuously. It's just like an interesting thing to try to bring people along the journey. And it takes a lot more time, quite honestly. Yeah. yeah it's two very different skills. Um, one thing that I, I am really liking that you're saying, Nikki, is, uh, or the way that you're approaching it, is by looking at milestone events and keeping it simple in terms of a light framework, and then starting at that manager level, giving them coaching tools within that framework. Um, that is a really simple way to say, you know, make effective use of your time. 
right? Because I think that, at least in my experience, when you have newer managers, I don't think it matters if it's a speedboat or a cruise liner, uh, the expectation or the assumption sometimes is I need to be everywhere and my responsiveness is my value versus um, I actually, as a more experienced leader, might check in less. I might do, you know, at the beginning of a, a quarter or ahead of a quarter, a territory plan update, or I might do, you know, an account plan at, you know, at, again, at the beginning of a quarter, but I'm not necessarily meeting, you know, weekly, daily asking for updates on that. I'm being effective with my time and setting expectations. And so that simple framework with that clear output and then embedding that coaching behavior into it. I think is what's going to create that longer lasting change. Um, and what I know about coaching as a, I'm a coach as well, is that similar to folks wanting to be coaches, it's the same as clients. If there's no desire to be coached or there's no gap that's identified, there's no coaching conversation. It just doesn't exist. And it's the same thing I think for a coach. If I'm wanting to, if I'm curious about the other person's point of view, if I want to see what they are thinking what they've tried and get into exploration with what could be with them, now I'm a coach. If I'm saying this is where you need to go, how you need to get there and the timeline that you need to do it within, I'm not a coach. Um, and so you have yeah. to choose as an individual, I think, in each moment, what hat am I wearing right now? And what's ha what hat is even needed within the business? Because coaching hats aren't always needed either. Correct. Yeah. It's that's where freedom within a framework comes in is what's the difference between what's a hybrid conversation look like? Because most of the time people are having them uh, anyway. And I, I think about that a lot. I'd be curious what, how you're measuring your program too. I'm like pipeline, like I'm <laughs> like, tell me. But I, I think that's the trick is people when they learn things almost want the prescription to be very, very clear. And this isn't. This is like, you're going to have to make the best decision that you think is viable based on the data that you're seeing. And you should know what levers to pull. And that's like a very tough thing, I think, for people to swallow because they're like, well, just tell me the exact instance. But people are on the other end. You won't know that. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, you were you were mentioning like asking about how we're measuring some things right now. And at Demand Base, we worked on establishing our charter. I believe in there a few months. So one of the first things I do with a team is establish our charter. And our team came up with a really cute acronym. Like we're working on um, a way to approach this where it's all about our internal customers being the reps. And so the acronym rep for us stands for readiness plus excellence equals productivity. So our lagging indicators are all around like productivity, around customer retention and expansion and attach rates, like all the all of the big lagging indicators that you would expect. But we're saying you can't get that unless you have solid foundations and you've moved from good to great. And so we're actually looking at a variety of things. We've got a new RevOps leader as well that's hot on deal velocity. So not only are we looking at those end results, but we're backing up and saying, what's really driving that? How are we doing with our stage conversions and how is that leading to higher deal velocity? So I think that's really been a focus for us. Um, but we're even going back as we're reestablishing our, our stage gates and understanding like what are the criteria for success for these critical activities that have to occur. So we're working our way all the way backwards to say, okay, what are all these leading indicators that we can actually pivot and make adjustments to 
that will have much bigger impact in the long run. So those are some of the things that we're looking at. And for the initiatives we're working on right now, it's around like, we've got to get people in the platform first. So I love Nikki, you're like, step one, like, are you doing the thing? Um, so like that usage and adoption side, but our hope is that that leads to early stage conversions. So that's really what we're keeping a close eye on. Mm-hmm. And that early stage, I mean, anywhere in that buyer journey, I think the question that you just raised there of, uh, are they in it? Are they doing it? And then the piece that we're really focused on right now at Clue and, and questioning is, okay, if they're doing it, is it working? Is it having the intended impact that it was supposed to have had? Um, and if it isn't, what about it? Is it, and let's look at different cohorts of people. Is it that they don't know, they're not comfortable, they're not doing it effectively? There's so much nuance within there to be able to roll it up and say, here's the result and here's the, um, you know, the impact or the KPI we're, we're hitting, you know, with a bow tie, because it, it is different by person, by uh, program. And I think it's worth calling out too, some of the metrics that we talk about for our programs and for coaching initiatives, especially if we're talking about win rate or deal size, you may not have that data for six to nine months, depending on the length of your sales cycle. So a couple things, obviously, there, if we're talking about performance improvement, right? Not a PIP, but whether that's coaching or training initiatives or what have you, what are the leading indicators Um, and I don't use that term loosely, Um, but also how do we keep people invested and engaged in continued learning when they aren't seeing results? And it's it's sometimes easy to get the buy-in initially, right? For the first 30 days, I want you to try to adopt these new behaviors. Okay, here are some soft leading metrics that show that we're starting to get you in the right direction. But by month four or month five, if you're in a nine-month enterprise deal cycle, How do you keep pulling your learner in and keep pulling your management team within your sales org in to continue to invest when some of those metrics do take so long to really come to fruition? And especially if you're on that speedboat, right? That boat may have just turned right. So suddenly you're not going the direction that your program was built for. How do you not lose the integrity of your framework, Nikki? Um, how do you just pivot that to habits support your new direction so you're not losing? I think that's where things can get really interesting and why these conversations are so great to have across different sizes of orgs with folks with different experience. And also so many folks that are wanting to drive the speedboat or be on the speedboat have shorter attention spans than like new ideas. <laughs> and so I think the, the the discipline that's required to once you have a framework in place to stick with it and actually do the boring work of staying within it, reminding, having your megaphone out and doing your PR around that simple, boring framework now that you're six months, nine months, 12 months in. Yeah, that I, I just commend folks that can do that because that is hard work when you're a speedboat driver and you're coming up with new ideas and wanting to build new. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's hard so to speaking say, of this new. is our next year. It, sorry, Jody, it was it's just saying yeah. it's hard to you're on a speedboat, it's hard to even look a quarter ahead, let alone going, This is our entire year, which is that's our approach at LinkedIn is like your whole year is this and beyond. And it's like that is a very different message when you're on a speedboat. Everyone's like, yeah, cool. I don't trust that at all. 
<laughs> so just calling that out, that is that is a huge challenge. I love that you called that out, Seth. Uh, so yes, and speaking of new and what's on the horizon, I would love to look at 2024 to start with because we're right there. We uh, we're back to school. Uh, we're thinking about next year. We're thinking about planning as seasoned and seasoned enablement leaders. The three of you um, break out the crystal ball. Let me gain some insight into what is your state of enablement. Um, and your mindset heading into 2024. And one thing I would love most, because we're in annual planning right now, is <laughs> planning tips and tricks uh, for an enablement function. So I will start with you, Whitney, if you don't mind, to give us your your look into the future and and how you're planning for it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I um I I won a contest when I was a kid, and my mom rewarded me by saying I could pick out any toy in the toy store and I chose like a crazy eight ball fortune telling ball. So like this is fun to look into this crystal ball together. Um, mine is actually going to sound a bit like Nikki was a plant here, but I've already dubbed next year, year of the manager. And so I'm really focusing on shifting the way that enablement teams are typically geared towards IC level deliverables as the priority for building and shifting that focus to those manager level deliverables. So I think that's really the big focus for my team going into next year. And I expect to see a lot of other enablement teams start to make that shift as they're focused on efficiency and need their managers to have a multiplier effect within their organizations with those like small but mighty enablement teams again. Um, the other thing is AI or bust. I don't think that's going anywhere. I think we're just scratching the surface this year. So I think that that conversation continues a lot into next year too. Um, we've been seeing AI on the roadmaps for enablement technology for years now. And it really was around like surfacing content in places where folks lived. And now it is like the imagination's gone wild with it. Um, and then I think we've only scratched the sur surface with tech stack integration. I think that's going to continue to be a trend. So I think this was like, this year was the agenda for like the next few years to come. Um, and we're just getting started in some of those. And so like another theme that comes to mind is we're headed back to basics, but we're trying to do that without being like all basic, right? Like, um, pumpkin spice latte basic. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think that, that really there, I just want to make sure that we're, we're getting back to some of these foundational elements that are so critical and so important. These 100 level, just to, to hit on our conversation earlier, but. Uh, we don't want to put the same content in front of the team and expect different results. Like that's the definition of crazy. So how can we do this in creative and engaging ways that get them to be able to flex to the market shifts? And so that's where I love like the the frameworks, but with freedom or flexibility. So that way you can adjust to what is happening, but you still have a process to follow and attach to that creates scale. Um, and then you said you were most interested in annual planning. So my planning tip, I mean, this is a big one. Like a lot of enablement leaders don't necessarily have the seat at the table. So I would say encourage and, and try to find a champion to help get you a seat at the table because the biggest impact that an enablement leader can have in the annual planning process is they are a bridge between all the go-to-market leaders that are having independent conversations. And so like you can't have your CX leader planning something for Q1 that requires a post-sales account manager 
on a sales team to do something different if the sales roadmap doesn't align to that too. And so it's how can you make sure that your sales, your marketing leaders, and your customer experience leaders are all in alignment and rowing in the same direction at the same pace to keep with all of our boat analogies. Um, but I think that's really the the biggest area of opportunity for enablement leaders to play a major part in the annual planning process that will make our lives easier, but also will make the field's life easier in consuming information that's paced accordingly and consistent and their handoffs will be aligned. So that is a really important part that I think enablement leaders can play. Okay, so year of the manager mm-hmm. and enablement planning tip is have a seat at the table as a leader within that that planning. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, love it. And Steph, you want to jump in on your crystal ball and uh, annual planning tips? Okay, so I hadn't called mine anything, but now I'm going to. Um, I'm going to call next year the year of T-Swizzle. Um, there's going to be the Taylor Swift shake it off and shake it up year. Um you know, a couple of things. Um, I feel like, and ladies would love to hear your perspective on this. I feel like this year was a lot of like magoo. We were, you know, taking two steps forward, three steps back with org structure changes, budget cuts. Maybe you had a headcount improved and you lost it. Maybe your sales team reorged and suddenly your work that you did last year to adjust the sales process for new headcounts, like it was just a really like slow as molasses year in terms of feeling like, wow, I got us from here to here, which is what 2020, right? We did all the things last year, huge successes. This year was a lot of work in some ways to get not that much further ahead because a big part of what we were all doing was keeping the boat afloat through the turmoil. So I'm going to shake it off and shake it up, getting new ideas, getting innovated wit to your comment. Like, don't put the same training content in front of people. Go build your skill set. I'm going to go start tinkering with video editing software. I haven't told my leader yet, but that's going to happen. Um, and just try to start challenging ourselves to think, how can we be more dynamic and think outside the box? Um The other things that I'm really thinking about for next year, getting people back onto promotion paths. So we've talked about coaching. A lot of folks got hit negatively this year. Perhaps promotions got stalled. How do we bang next year off with a celebration and have clear career paths in place for people so that by next summer, folks are celebrating again. They're energized. They're hitting new revenue targets. Um, And probably not surprising to you three, but I'm also thinking about how can enablement play a role in community growth? Whether your ICP is an enablement leader or a sales leader, there is an incredible opportunity to start building a groundswell for your SaaS brand in North America. And because we're not bag holders, quota carriers, whatever you want to call us, we can go do what we do best, which is go have authentic conversations with the market learn and understand what other companies are thinking about conversations like this, Jody, and bring that back to our revenue teams to help shape the strategy and beyond. So T-Swizzle is how we're going to recap that, but hopefully you're all with me on the sentiment. (laughs) We're with you on the boat, shaking it off, shaking it up. (laughs) Love it. And how about you, Whitney? Or sorry, not Whitney, Nikki. 
Uh, I'm going Beyonce here. I think this is a Navelman's renaissance. Uh, that's I'm I'm Beyonce like through and through. Whitney knows this. I send her videos of me doing like the cuppet challenge in my office. I was like, don't you dare share those. Um, but <laughs> they'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the show yeah. notes. It's, <laughs> this. this isn't fair. It literally <laughs> makes my day. I like send Nikki all the TikTok dance challenges. I'm like, can you do this for me real quick? <laughs> and then I'm like practicing. I'm like, my meeting's at 30 minutes. Let me go like practice this and try it. Um, caring is caring. Was, and we have WhatsApp private groups. So like send that over is all I'm going to say. <laughs> Um, I'm like, uh, oh my God, I just went to see Beyonce. So I'm very, like, very into this. But I do, I think, so I agree with everything. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Like, you're the manager, making sure that we're like resetting. I love this idea of T Swizzle stuff. Like, when I think of Renaissance, I actually think this is like, I mean, this happened so many times. The macroeconomic environment shakes up, and guess who's the first to go? Enablement. I also am seeing CS teams get impacted a lot. And I'm going, okay, so the people who help you with change and the people who keep your customer base, like really, that's where we're going. And it continues to happen. So I actually think that this is the year of like enablement, taking a look at itself in the mirror and going, all right, I'm had enough. Like I'm sick of being the person that does it all or the team that does it all. And what do we actually want to brand ourselves as? And this can look different at different organizations. But how do we not be the team that when stuff hits the fan, we're the ones that have to pick up the pieces like right away? And two, there's like some responsibility top down that is like standing up for us in the room. I don't know how else to uh, convey this other than I think we have a job to do and that's getting very crystal clear on charters, making charters more of a thing. Um, with, I know you are excellent at this. Like, I Just really making sure that there is a seat at the table. Steph, I know you absolutely have that. And so um, ensuring that from top down, everybody knows exactly what you do. And whether you're on a speedboat or a huge cruise liner, ensuring that people understand that there is a place for enablement, that it's crystal clear. And just because things aren't going the way that they should, there are ways to pivot without getting rid of your enablement teams and like really making sure that there's clarity around that. I just, I think everybody enablement's like, here we go again. And so I think it's our renaissance to go like, actually, who do we want to be? And We've tested a lot of different, a lot of different places uh, within enablement roles, functions, uh, the way think year of the manager. I'm absolutely in agreement with that. I think that's a huge area that's led us to this point that we've missed. Uh, and so I think there's tons of opportunity there, which is very exciting. And Jody, yeah. for annual for annual planning, yeah. I will say, um, being on a big cruise liner, this is like something where I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice like I'm not in the process the way that I have been in the past however I think what LinkedIn's gotten right is despite being huge it's focusing on the things that will move the needle the most and getting crystal clear on what those are and I have never in my career seen better alignment top down better stakeholder engagement what it means to be a part of a sponsorship committee leading from the front I've 
literally never seen something better in my life than what I've experienced at LinkedIn. And it's been such an amazing thing to see people step in and go, no, I'm, I'm going to be the face of this. It's not just you. Um, so I think there's a lot of cool stuff that can come out of that as well. Great. Enablement as a strategic function. This is what I'm hearing. And part of that extreme ownership mindset is enablement, owning the communication, the PR, the impact results that, uh, that we're driving back with the business. Okay. So every episode of Winning as Women, I ask a, a question of what does winning as a woman today mean to you? And we've had Steph and Nikki on previously, and I'll give you a, a quick recap. So Steph, uh, if you remember, you answered, you're looking for those electric moments with another human being that light you up, where you just connect and you get it. And those are the uh, those micro moments that keep your energy moving uh, and define you today as a woman. And Nikki, uh, you said you couldn't be here without these incredible women in your life, which kind of made me start thinking about this, this panel and uh, the support system that you have and winning is continuing to foster these relationships within your community um, with everyone. And Whitney, you haven't given us your answer. So this is your moment to, to share it. What does winning as a woman mean to you today? Oh, I love this. Um, when I first heard that this is going to be a question that we would cover, I really thought back to like what it felt like to win for me earlier in my career. And it wasn't really an award or recognition, but there was this moment uh, when I first made it to director and I was a leader. Uh, I was at a leader level executive networking dinner in New York. And I was sharing my philosophy on employee lifetime value or ELTV being something that results in CLTV, customer lifetime value. And I saw folks whip out their notebook and like take notes. And and I counted that as such a win. I like called and told my friends and family about it. And I bring up this moment because it made me realize that winning as women is less individualistic for you. And it's more about helping others. And so now when I think about women, winning as women, I think about um, my team. I think about my mentees. I think about the folks listening to this episode, folks who have been on my team in the past and just the enablement industry and how we can all help each other. So that's really what it comes back to for me. Yeah. Winning is a, is a community sport. Yes, Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much for this lively conversation. We brought in a lot of hot beats. We got Taylor Swift. We got Beyonce. We're on speedboats. <laughs> we're on cruise liners. We're dancing. Uh, so everyone, thank you so much for joining and tuning in. And Whitney, Nikki, and Steph, uh, folks can find you on LinkedIn. You're all very active there. We'll link to your profiles uh, in the show notes. And a sincere thank you. And I know our listeners are going to get so much out of this conversation. So make sure everyone to like and subscribe to Winning as Women to never miss a new episode. We'll catch you next time.